Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, and you are listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. This week, our episode focuses on the advocacy work of two physicians in the state of Indiana, which just happens to be my wonderful home state. I ask our Senior Vice President for Bioethics and Public Policy, Dr. Jeff Barrows, who also happens to be the president of the American Academy of Medical Ethics, to join me for a conversation with Dr. David Donaldson, who's an anesthesiologist, and Dr. Tom Youth, a recently retired internist. And they're gonna talk to us about how they engaged with their state medical society to stand up and protect the vulnerable through their ongoing advocacy work. We just entered the 2024 legislative season, so we think this is going to give you a glimpse of what it looks like to engage and make a significant difference in grassroots advocacy efforts in your own states. So just keep on listening, because I think that you're going to be greatly encouraged today as you hear more from Dr. Donaldson and Dr. Youth. Well, today on CMDA Matters, I am so excited because for a couple of months, Dr. Jeff Barrows, who's with me today as co-host, our Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy, we have been excited about some things that have happened in the great state. I'm I'm biased, Jeff, the great (laughs) state of Indiana because I'm, I'm a Hoosier at heart. So welcome to our two guests today, Dr. Thomas Youth and Dr. David Donaldson. Both practice, uh, have practice in the state of Indiana, and both have been involved in the Indiana State Medical Association now for a number of years in different ways at different times on different issues. And a couple months ago, Jeff, we got an email that these gentlemen were part of a movement that had some pretty remarkable results, didn't we? It was a tremendous example of what you can do in terms of just grassroots efforts to try and gather other members of a state association around you and make a difference at the state level, which they made a tremendous difference in Indiana. Well, uh, let me just say a little bit about our guests. Dr. Tom Huth is an internist, uh, Richmond, Indiana, more than 30 years of clinical, administrative, and leadership experience. His mission has been to help ignite a re-engagement of physicians of conscience in the processes of organized medicine in order to deflect its moral trajectory back toward the Hippocratic ideal. Dr. David Donaldson is an anesthesiologist and, like me, has been involved with CMDA since his first year of medical school. He's been (laughs) chapter sponsor and campus advisor at IU Fort Wayne for 12 years. So welcome, gentlemen, to the program after those introductions. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thanks so much. Well, this fall, as we alluded to in our lead up to these questions, the two of you as Christian physicians, you work together with several other Christian background delegates of the ISMA to bring about significant change within that association. So would you tell us your story? And Dr. Hughes, could you you get us started here today? You've been involved for a number of years with the ISMA, and over the last three or four years, you've seen some changes. I'm a 30-plus year member of the ISMA, and really in the last I would say 10 years, certainly the last five, it has taken very much more of kind of a, a leftward tilt in uh, the, the policies that are adopted. And it's been very concerning. And, uh, you know, Indiana is a pretty conservative state. 
And I don't feel that some of the policies that are adopted really represent kind of the center of gravity of the physicians. But over time, as I've observed things and able to do that from a position of uh, some leadership in the association, I've been involved in a number of commissions. I'm a district president serving in various ways and getting to know people and seeing how the process works. What I realized is that really just a small handful of more, say, radical elements have been really working to change things over time. And to me, the lesson is, is that it doesn't take an overwhelming mass to inflect changes, small amounts at a time. It only takes a few people working together. And that's what the other side have done on a number of issues. And I decided uh, kind of independently, but I think it struck a chord with a number of the people, number of people, including Dave Donaldson here, to try to organize my own counterweight in terms of a small group of people, particularly those who are able to go to convention as delegates and help to determine the policies, to just to try to be a, a counterweight to all that and uh, see what we can do about inflecting things in a different direction. And we've had some notable success. It hasn't been, you know, uh, an overwhelming, uh, you know, things are on the right track now. I wouldn't say that. We have a lot of work to do, but we have had a couple of notable pieces of success at this year's convention. But it just really points out that we have much more to follow up on and we need more people to help do it. Looking back over the last three or four years, were either of you ready to throw in the towel on the on these efforts and a number of issues that we'll get to here in a moment? I felt like that at times. I know we had good success seven or eight years ago when the person who was the other uh, AME director uh, authored and I co-authored uh, with her a resolution that unanimously passed being against physician-assisted suicide. So that, that that's great. And and back then, it just seems we didn't they didn't even want to touch the abortion issue, uh, any that thing that they considered controversial. Well, in those following years, somehow that changed. And I wasn't able to get to convention all those years, but it seemed the uh, people who were more against life issues got more involved. There were a few conventions that I, I had to miss, but then the last few years, yeah, with the freedom of conscience had uh, uh, and, and not passed. And what happened is, fortunately, one of my uh, friends here is a family practitioner who I was involved with the CMA, gave me an email and said, hey, we've been noticing we've been uh, we're losing tread on a lot of these issues. Can we come together? And that's when I came across my new friend there, Tom uh, Huth, and it was really neat to get involved. And you'd mentioned recent success. So we we did have more success this past year than we had previously. Now, we're not to where, for instance, um, as far as involvement, like the state of Florida and the success they've had down there. But I, I think we're on the way to that. But I, th I put it at this past year at three things that really helped. First of all, was uh, there was more involvement. Uh, we were able to get a few more people on CMDA involved, and there's still some more uh, work to do there. I had talked to a few other people to be involved who were able to contribute on the ISMA Pulse, which we can talk about later too, that helped. Uh, so it was more involvement. It, the second thing was it was organizational effects. And uh, I'm going to credit Tom with that. We had three or four Zoom meetings prior going over the resolutions. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were all able to agree. He picked out 13 resolutions to focus on. And 
I know, uh, Jeff, you were particularly impressed with his uh, insights and analysis of those uh, resolutions uh, that we all agreed that that need to be addressed. And in a few years past, I had done my own summary and put them out to some CMDA members and got a little you know, involvement that way. And uh, some people uh, were able to respond. And I put some out this year, but I'll tell you, it just didn't take me much to swallow my mortification when I saw Tom's uh, insights come out. He did a fabulous job. And then I was able to send those resolutions on to other people. And so we were more cohesive. So the organization ability and that component that uh, Tom really led was 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 huge. And the other thing was the uh, delivery. I think how we voiced our concerns. I'm not a, a particular person that has incredible oratorical skills, but when I think we got up and spoke at the House of Delegates and even at the Reference Committee, important issues, we were a little more refined with how we spoke about those things. And all those three things together gave us this initial success that we can ultimately build on. Again, I know we can get into this later, basically what, the, what we're talking about, the basis of this is how do you be a force multiplier? which I'm not natural at, but there's things we can do to be force multipliers and to get people more involved and our organizational ability into this. So that's kind of where I come from. And it's, it's great to be involved. It's great to have come across uh, Tom and get this uh, cohesion between CMDA and CMEA, uh, CMA and APLOG and other faith-based uh, organizations with shared values to be involved this way. You, you know, you asked about, you know, feel, you know the, the sense that doctors of faith and conscience sometimes have in these matters of feeling like I'm I'm a I'm a small voice on my own and you know I just feel like giving up I'm trying to focus on my family and my work and I don't like to be involved in these things uh and there doesn't see anybody's you know representing my point of view so there's a a, a tendency to disengage mm -hmm. and uh, I think that has happened a lot amongst uh, doctors uh, who would affiliate with the CMDA and certainly has happened with those uh, Catholic doctors who would normally be part of or are part of the CMA. And the key thing for me is to recognize that it doesn't take a lot of people to affect change. It takes one or two people to kind of stand up and show an organized way to move forward to get other people to re-engage. That's kind of where we started with this year. We went into this, uh, I went into this with very, I hope, humble and modest expectations. It was all about how can we push back on the cultural changes that are happening amongst doctors, amongst the organized medical organizations. You know, how can we just slow, slow that down? I wasn't expecting necessarily to get big wins or make big change. And when people ask me now, where does this go? How, you know, maybe we're going to take over the organizations and it's going to run the way we would like. I try to tamp that expectation down. We have to take baby steps on these things. Now, mm -hmm. that's what the other side does. Mm -hmm. you know, they don't expect it. To, they never expect it to get so far all at once. And they've taken a long time to do it. And so I'm just trying to do that in reverse. It might be worth knowing that in my mind, I like to keep things simple, and we had to look at the process of getting to the convention. There are basic three basic steps. One is that resolutions have to be developed and submitted, and there's a process for all members to provide commentary on that. 
that is a very important step to informing the consideration of the reference committee. That's the second step is reference committee, mm-hmm. where a, a group of doctors who are designated to take the information from the surveys, take the information from in-person testimony in front of the reference committee, compile that into a recommendation for the House of Delegates about what action to take on specific resolutions, whether to adopt, not adopt, or some other resolution. There are about three or four possible ways to resolve those. What What I tell people is what the reference committee says to do, there's a 70, 80% chance that that's what will happen with it, with a particular resolution. So these first steps, the uh, online survey, feedback, and the reference committee testimony, super critical, because if you neglect those pieces, it's hard to get action the way we want at the House of Delegates. Well, as I listen to both of you, I, I clearly can see that the main reason that you had the success that you had this past meeting is, as you're describing, the advanced planning. Absolutely critical. But I'd like to transition a little bit into the partnership uh, of the network, as you've briefly mentioned, not only CMDA, but the Catholic Medical Association. How critical was that partnership coming together in achieving the, the success that you did achieve there in Indiana? I, I would say that, that that it is a real partnership, but it's a little bit more informal than formally at the level of the leadership of the two organizations. And from my perspective, the, in, you know, the way it played out was I was just contacting people trying to find out who might be advocates with us outside of the bounds of my own organization. And that's how I got introduced to Dave. And so we we started communicating down to the members level to encourage people to get involved. It was not only Dave, you know, Christina Francis did through her contacts in APLOG. There were a couple of other people who have who are recognized leaders that we we brought into the uh, the conversation. Going forward, we probably do need to make it more of a a little bit more formalized coordination at the level of the leadership. But, you know, that's that's something we didn't really have. It was more of this year it was more of here's this idea. We're trying to gather some people together to make some things happen. And here are the steps that we need to take. And the big thing was, was to get more of the uh, the folks associated with the organizations to actually become members of the state medical association so that they could provide mm-hmm. commentary and they didn't have to go to convention they didn't have to stand up and testify in front of a lot of people but they did need to be able to participate in the online service so they had to become members again and that was probably the hardest step actually getting mm-hmm. people to have enough confidence to put their money into that so the the short the maybe the really shortest answer to your question is there was a, it was less of a formal coordination between the organizations than it was individually contacting members through our networking within the organizations. We have made the same argument, uh, Tom, at, through our membership is we have members that get very frustrated with belonging to these more and more liberal medical associations they want to leave, but we want them to stay in and be salt and light. I'm very glad you brought that up. 
And yeah. so, Dave, I wanted to ask you, and along the same line, I think you were the one that came up with the name of a Hippocratic Caucus. Was your purpose in that to have other other groups join in the effort uh, and to emphasize your your overall theme of do no harm, or did you have something else in mind? I'll just say I didn't look that deeply into it. It was just I like practicing Hippocratic medicine. You look at it now, and yeah. I, it's neat that other faiths can join in that uh, agree with the issues that we're talking about. But I knew it'd be great if it can encompass more groups of people, uh, faith-based or not. You know, I'm, I'm here. I took the Hippocratic Oath, the original Hippocratic Oath. I'm here to practice traditional Hippocratic medicine. And I think that was uh, just a good name to have to going forward that uh, hopefully can appeal to people. You know, the, the last step in the whole process was having delegates at the convention who were working together. We had pre-coordinated how we would offer debate and so forth and who would go to the reference committees to testify and such like. Uh, and we had meetings at the convention and a couple of people noticed what we were doing and, and offered to join in. So we had about 12 out of the 120 registered delegates uh, who were actually coordinating in this way. And what I've noticed about the people who are involved is that most of them are people who come from Christian faith backgrounds. A couple of them, I would say, are more from a libertarian perspective, and that kind of has an impact on how you approach specific issues. But those people were more interested in pushing back on the the growth of the woke cultural attitudes mm -hmm. in organizations. And this gets back to the question of what to call the group. I've, I've been asked, you know, what are we going to call this group? And we had considered some other names, but I think Dave's idea of using Hippocratic in the name was a really good one because the Hippocratic promises, the Hippocratic ideals are what I would consider to be kind of corollary to the moral law. You know, there are aspects of the, uh, the, the, the all the points of moral law you know, as people of faith, we know those come from God. Our God is the God of all science, all morality. Yet at the same time, people who are not who don't come from a faith bank or faith background or are or maybe come from a Muslim or Hindu faith background, they can embrace the moral law because they are the things that we all agree. Mm -hmm. We don't kill, we don't steal, you know, the ways we interact with each other. Those are kind of universal. And so rather than make it about the Christian faith, in order to enlarge our tent, if we concentrate on the Hippocratic ideals, then we can engage more people who won't be made to feel that they're being evangelized to Christianity, which is a, is a whole separate issue from what we're trying to accomplish. Well, Dave and Tom, you sent us a beautiful activity summary about a month or so ago, and I think there were 13 resolutions on the list. And, you know, for our listeners' sake, just some of the titles, Freedom of Conscience in Healthcare, Regulating Crisis Pregnancy Centers, a couple of resolutions on gender transition or gender-affirming care, pronoun use, evidence-based medicine, diversity, homeless, uh, just a long list. As you think about these resolutions that you prepared for in advance, which of the victories are, are you particularly proud of and you think were most significant? And maybe which, which of the losses, because you didn't win everything, um, or, or, or were, were stinging to you? Well, I'll, I'll say just a few things on that. I know that uh, the big one was the freedom of conscience issue and to show the re recent success 
you know, two years ago or three years, it wasn't even hardly considered. Okay. So the freedom of conscience, uh, then, then, then the next year, there was a little bit more support. But then again, we got together. And by the way, one of the things that happens when you come together with other groups like us, it's to me, it's more than synergistic. Okay. So it, it's great because courage is contagious. And when the people come together and they see other people interested in the same, it's, it is, it's a great feeling. And I think people saw that with the freedom of conscience issue. And so that passed this past year. And whereas two years ago, we didn't think it really had a prayer. That was one of the major victories. The other thing is Tom uh, did a great job of uh, co-authoring a resolution to be more in line with our state laws with the transgender issue. And uh, we were able to pass his resolution and go against a transgender uh, a resolution that went the opposite direction. And I thought that was, uh, those were two of the largest victories. There were a few other ones that were 50-50 and uh, we didn't lose, but we definitely won more than what we had in the past. And I don't know if Tom wants to uh, build on that at all, but that's, uh, yeah. those were good ones. You've, you've certainly articulated where I would go with it, which is we, we had identified the, uh, the conscience rights protection resolution as our top priority. That was authored by my colleague, Dr. Tina Reichley, who's been proposing it for several years and has never really gotten much of a hearing prior to this. And I expected to, there to be more of a fight on that, but it actually passed with pretty minimal controversy this time, I think because it, it sort of paled on the emotion scale, emotional scale compared to some of the other things. And so those other things sucked a little bit of the, a bit of that, of the oxygen out of the room in terms of its uh, of of opposition to it. But probably the most contentious ones were the ones related to gender affirming care, which uh, I hate that name. I, it's, you know, I wish I could think of something better to use. I, I prefer, uh, you know, sexual mutilation care, but that's maybe too strong for a family podcast. I authored the uh, resolution that condemned gender-affirming care for minors, which is what the state law is, as Dave referred to. Uh, there was a an opposite resolution that would have called on the Medical Association to endorse gender-affirming care. And uh, so it was a battle of these two opposing resolutions. And I, I will be honest and say I did not what didn't necessarily expect that to pass. It was not our top priority, but the way the reference committee sort of split the baby on it was as they modified the resolution supporting gender affirming care to say that it applied only to adults. So both resolutions were adopted actually. So the current policy of ISMA is opposing gender affirming care for children and uh, allowing adults to make their own decisions on this, which to me is a, a fairly acceptable compromise. Mm -hmm. But the, the fact that we were able to get it, to get my resolution passed was actually a huge win. It was very perplexing for the other side. And I think it really kind of ruined their day, judging by their body language and how ferociously they fought. I mean, they tried to use a couple of different parliamentary procedures to get mine quashed, but those were not successful unusual parliamentary procedures that we hardly ever see undertaken. So felt pretty good about that, felt really good about getting the conscience rights protection 
passed, but you asked about ones that we that, that were, you know, we didn't get everything we wanted, didn't really expect to, but there, I think the one that stung me personally, and you could feel differently, Dave, I'd like to hear if you have a different feeling. The one that kind of stung me was there were two opposing resolutions, one of which uh, someone on our team authored about gender neutral language and our compatriot authored resolution saying that gender neutral language should not be used, that just simply good grammatical language should. Uh, the opposite one was that gender neutral language should be adopted by the State Medical Association. Unfortunately, we lost on both of those. And I would tell you that that particularly bothers me because uh, language is super important mm-hmm. it to is. the left. Yeah. They know that they can control how we think if they could control how we how we speak. And so that's why it was important to me. It may be something we can come back on in a future convention, but that, that one I really felt bad about. Yeah, I wanted to tell you, Tom, that you're not alone. Jeff and I have heard this over and over again about it just almost leaves a bad taste in your mouth to use those words gender affirmation. And it's almost as if thinking in a sports analogy, you've spotted the other team a whole touchdown before you even have the opening kickoff. We're going to give you seven points because, frankly, we're going to use these words. We don't like them. So other terms, and Dr. Barrows can help me, I'm sure you've heard gender transition procedures as opposed to putting gender and affirmation together. Jeff, other other terminology that you've heard Well, used? the one I use is very similar to what you just mentioned, gender transition therapy. It's the most specific. It is what the therapy undertakes without using the word affirmation. I think that's the one we want to avoid, if at all possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I, just for our listeners, I, don't give, don't spot the other side uh, a, t- a touchdown, maybe even two touchdowns because of how important that language is. Well, Dave, I know that you work uh, full-time uh, as an anesthesiologist, and uh, I'm sure that there are many listeners to the podcast right now that are thinking they don't have what it takes in terms of speaking ability or especially time availability or maybe even subject matter expertise on many of the issues that come up. And and I'm sure a lot of members think that they don't have the expertise to deal with the whole gender transition issue. But how would you respond to our members that would kind of raise these types of objections to becoming involved in their state medical association? I can see what people are thinking. I mean, if I can do it, anybody can do it because I don't have any of those, the time or Sometimes I don't feel like I have the ability, but I think you got to remember God doesn't always call our ability. He calls our availability and he doesn't always call the qualified. He, he qualifies the call. And I think that it is important to, to make time. And so, yeah, I still work full time. I've called duties, family obligations and so forth. So sometimes I feel like nobody has has less time to do things than me, but the important thing is that can't as much be used as an excuse now because the isma as many state medical associations has made it so easy and we've made it easy through concentrating on certain resolutions these are the ones that you know we need to look at but they made it so easy with uh, in our situation called the isma pulse where you can just get on and do your thing, look over the resolutions and do your vote. In fact, on a true story, one of my partners who shares the same values, he's not a CMDA member, but I told him about this and he was interested and he was 
visibly disturbed that one of the resolutions that came forward to get rid of religious exemptions for vaccines. And so he saw that, he saw the resolution. He got on, he got his password, he got onto the site, he read through the resolutions and he did the voting within 15 to 20 minutes. Hmm. So that was pretty amazing. He said, wow, this is, I wish I would have done this last year. This is a lot easier than I thought. Hmm. So in the superficial involvement, can be very impactful, more impactful, as we alluded to before, than what people think. So we have made it uh, time efficient. Yeah, as far as ability, you know, you just do the best you can. I don't always consider myself the most well-spoken person, but just being present and giving your comments is very impactful. And it's, it's just amazing that when you think that, oh, this isn't gonna make a difference, it, it really does. And as far as expertise, well, as I mentioned, I, I spend most of my time in the Heart Institute being more of a cardiac anesthesiologist. So yeah, I don't see patients coming to the office with a lot of these issues. I, I get that. Maybe some people think because of that, uh, my words aren't as authoritative, but you know, we it, each vote is the same, counts the same. And so when you're voting, it's everyone's on equal footing and you got to educate your, yourself on a lot of these issues. Can I say that I speak from experience? No, because I said I don't. I don't see a lot of the patients in office on a lot of these issues. But uh, at the same time, just becoming educated with the major parts of these issues and and having a voice is is very important. Mm -hmm. So you know, you try to be a force multiplier at, at 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 multiple levels, and I think sometimes just the individual conversation with somebody can can be most effective. Uh, means of doing that. Dr. Tom, I wanted to ask you, what would, how would you advise those who are listeners all over the country from different states after joining, obviously joining the State Medical Association is a very first concrete step, but what are the next steps in terms of getting involved, especially if they don't know anybody like you guys are in Indiana? They don't know anyone. How can they, what are the steps you'd advise since you've been involved all these years? The thing I like to keep in mind is that we're not all called to stand up in front of groups and take the slings and arrows directly. Uh, we're, you know, I think uh, I'm terrible quoting scripture, but the, you know, St. Paul says somewhere that, you know, some people are called to be teachers, some people are called to be prophets, etc. And uh, so there's a variety, there are a variety of rules that people do according to their availability, ability, desire. And that the first and key one is be sure to offer input when it's requested and in particular for these resolutions i think all states operate pretty much the same way with uh, essentially membership comment on proposed resolutions i can't tell you how important that is and so if, pe if people will do at least that because the all of that is way it is very uh important at weighing at the at the convention I think it's important for people in their own states to try to figure out who are working on this on these things in an organized way. Now, I'm becoming a little bit more of a well-known in the state of Indiana and Davis, where people could go to, and um, and I make an effort to go out and meet more people. I did this past weekend in Indianapolis and uh, collected some names and email addresses for people who want to get involved to try to help them figure out where they fit in. There's somebody in your state, if you're in Tennessee, or you're in Texas, or you're in Illinois. Uh, in fact, I know for sure there is somebody in Illinois who's trying to do something similar. 
you've got to ask around and and uh, make connections through other people to get to be introduced to those individuals so that there's an opportunity to work in a more coordinated fashion. Dave has referred to the fact that there's a force multiplier effect. I really love that term because we go to convention as a group of a small group of people who are organized and more coordinated, just as the other side has done for a long time. Yet there are, you know, a hundred other delegates who have to be persuaded. The vast majority of those aren't really firmly in some camp or another. And many of them, I'm going to be honest, haven't even read the resolutions before going to convention. They are simply reacting to how persuasive the speakers are on different topics and how how these issues may resonate with their own value systems, which which can be variable. So the, the force multiplying effect is that those who come prepared and organized are going to have the biggest sway. That's the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, if you want to be as involved as getting on the committees, getting on, get, becoming a delegate, uh, standing on the floor and speaking, it's not for everybody. I understand that. But there's some other way you can be involved. Once I haven't mentioned is that there are committees and commissions within the State Medical Association that have members on them. A super important one is the Commission on Legislation, because that is the group that advises the lobbying team uh, how to approach specific pieces of proposed legislation. You know, the resolutions are one thing, but the what has to be reacted to is the language of specific uh, legislative efforts, le- legislative pieces of, uh, of proposed law. And that requires nuance and that requires involvement of people on the key committees. Commission on legislation is a super important one. And there are others as well. So there are various places people can fit in. At a minimum, they've got to join. They've got to be plugged into the groups who are working in a way that fits with their value systems and you know, get familiarized with uh, the resolutions and help to vote on those up or down. Well, I'm curious, Dave and Tom, how would you describe the doctors who are advocating at these meetings for abortion or assisted suicide, or we've mentioned gender transition, especially those that are advocating to limit conscience freedoms? Are they academic? Are they private practice, older, younger? And I, I, I recognize that it may be different in Indiana than in other parts of the country, but I'm curious, what has been your experience as you have seen these people at this meeting and, and giving testimony opposed to what we as Christians would advocate for? It seems to be a lot of them are associated with academics and there is more medical student involvement. A lot of the resolutions seem to be that they'll put forth resolutions that you know, we tend to, to dis- disagree with, or some people may put on the uh, I guess, uh, be more woke or whatever term you, you use. And there's a few from outside, but I would say it's mainly in in, in those two categories. Yeah, that that's right. I mean, um, the ones that are most objectionable tend to emanate from doctors who are younger, but especially medical students. And I hate to paint medical students in a negative light, but I think what we have to realize is that they are completely under the sway of the philosophical 
examples they've been provided by professors and so forth. And the and as we all know, the academic world is highly, highly anti-life and anti-conscience. And there just is a distinct leftward tilt to everything that comes from academics. And so kids going into that don't have life experience. They work from these examples. And there's a uh, an effect where young people, especially, we all like to feel that we belong to something bigger than ourselves and we're, you know, we're having an impact in the world. And uh, it's very seductive to these medical students to be felt that they could be part of a crusade to work on behalf of the oppressed and for rights, you know, people's rights to things like abortion. And they feel like they're on a crusade. Mm. That's highly, uh, it really gets the dopamine hits going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's where this comes from. Of the objectionable resolutions at our convention in, in September, most of them were proposed or participated in by medical students. And they are highly organized. Not all of them were, but most of them were. You know, I think a lot of us are aware that the at the uh, AMA fall meeting that concluded recently, there was a resolution to be neutral on physician-assisted suicide and to change the the euphemism referring to it to medical assistance in dying, which is what they call it in Canada. That did not pass because of advocacy on your part and part of uh, CMA and other groups. But that resolution was a medical student resolution. So that's that's highly illustrative of the problem that we have. Yeah. Medical students are poorly formed from a moral perspective. And that's a problem. It's for that. I think Jeff and I are both wanting to jump on the same thing simultaneously <laughs> in response to that. It's for that very reason that my co-host here has been working for months on a curriculum called Standing Strong in Training. That's out now. It's on the web. Where can folks find it, Jeff? Uh, cmda.org slash standing strong. Standing strong. But the, the story I was going to say is that we heard from our students at the that AMA meeting that after they defeated the student medical student resolution, that that group of medical students came up to them and congratulated them. They were very friendly. They said, uh, you're very well spoken. You made excellent points. Thank you for coming. It was really uh, quite an, uh, an encouraging wow. encounter. So that that's I just thought I have to throw that in because there are lots of really good medical students out there. So, yeah. And I and I wonder if there's a generational thing where we had better get more Tom's and Dave's and Jeff's out there because the young people are cause-oriented. And so if we can provide them with role models like you guys, that it's the right thing to do is to get involved, mm -hmm. that we'll get more students of faith to engage. And it seems for us like the year of, the, the year of courage at CMDA because we've had these recurrent themes this week, we're releasing on the, on the podcast an interview with Finnish doctor, Dr. Pivey Rossinen, who's been taken through the court system for her Bible tweet, and uh, Professor Robbie George at Princeton, courage is contagious. I think I heard one of you say it earlier. So what you're doing is going to be contagious in Indiana, and I hope because of this podcast, contagious to other uh, representatives in, in various states. Jeff, any final thoughts here as we close? I would love to see a Hippocratic caucus in all 50 states. Uh, I, that would be a dream come true for me and uh, groups that we could go to as some of these things come up, not just at the medical association, but also at the state legislatures uh, that are 
so anti or so opposed to biblical values. That would be a terrific, terrific uh, thing. An encouragement to both of you because, again, I'm from Indiana and I've had some communication uh, with one of the senators there in in the state uh, legislature that it only just takes a couple of voices to counter the narrative and they're able to pass Bible-friendly, faith-friendly legislation. They just need a few voices. So thanks to both of you. And I'm, I'm, uh, we're going to be following uh, what happens in the Indiana State Medical Association, I think. Well, I look forward to working with you both uh, through the AAME. And uh, Lord willing, we can have some more victories. Absolutely. Have you heard about freedomtocare.org? It is the hub for CMDA's advocacy work. There you will find resources, ways to get involved, information about active federal bills that we are tracking, and much more. Freedom to Care is focused on educating, encouraging, and equipping citizens to advocate our First Amendment freedoms. Plus, we enable healthcare professionals to uphold life-honoring principles found within traditional Hippocratic medical ethics. For more information, visit freedomtocare.org. That's freedom, the number two, care.org. Well, you heard Dr. David and Dr. Tom today talking about their own Hippocratic Caucus that they brought together in the state of Indiana. And you also heard Dr. Jeff Barrow say what an incredible blessing it would be to have a Hippocratic Caucus in every single state of the U.S. I wanted to let you know that the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine and CMDA was a founding member of that gathering of five different associations. They've made a way that Hippocratic Caucuses in the states can become members of the AHM, the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine. If you'd like to learn more about how you and your colleagues in your particular state could form a caucus and become part of the AHM, you can reach out to us at advocacy at cmda.org. You know, one of the four key areas of ministry here at CMDA is clearly, if you listen to our program, advocacy. And we focus our efforts on protecting the vulnerable in regard to the issues where Jesus Christ has the greatest concern, at least as we see that concern revealed in the scriptures. As we seek to communicate these scriptural truths in love, our advocacy team is working with other like-minded organizations as well as individuals in both the state and federal arenas. I want to ask you, friends, will you get involved this year in CMDA's advocacy work and help us represent biblically consistent views on issues like assisted suicide, abortion, transgenderism, and and others. With your help, we can stand against the legislative and cultural changes that are facing Christians in healthcare in our country. We need your expertise in healthcare in order to promote our Christian worldview in all 50 states. Again, if you'd like to get involved, contact CMDA's advocacy team by using the email address advocacy at cmda.org. And you should know you can also visit our website, cmda.org slash advocacy. We're excited to announce the newest addition to CMDA's long list of resources for our members, and it is specifically for students and residents. 
called Standing Strong in Training, this new curriculum helps healthcare students and residents stand up against the cultural pressures facing Christians within healthcare today. The curriculum's seven modules are designed for group settings, allowing attendees to solidify their foundational worldview beliefs regarding important issues, such as the beginning of life, end of life, and biblical sexuality. Each module also offers ideas of how to winsomely defend biblical values and positively interact with others in developing their worldview beliefs. For more information and to download this free resource, visit cmda.org slash standing strong. Well, unless your name is Rip Van Winkle, you certainly know that 2024 is an election year in our country and it's already dominating all the headlines. We want to help you sort through all of the noise and the tension that such elections tend to bring even within our churches. We're inviting you to join CMDA and our friends at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary for a free webinar. It's part of our partnership called The Convergence, Critical Conversations for Healthcare and Theology. We will be exploring what is going on within the two kinds of evangelicalism in the public square how you can think about it biblically and how and why God has the church in his plans for such a time as this at this point in U.S. and world history. We'll also be considering how this impacts the pastoral dimensions of our medical practices. The webinar will be hosted live on Saturday, February 3rd at 10 a.m. Eastern Time with Dr. Daryl Bach from DTS plus Dr. Jeff Barrows and our very own Nicole Hayes from CMDA's advocacy team. If you'd like more information and to register, just visit cmda.org events. Well, God willing, Dr. Barrows and I will be here next Thursday for a conversation with Dr. Jeff Hansen. He's recently released a new book that speaks into the ongoing transgender issue. As always, if you'd like to suggest a future guest for us to have a conversation with on our podcast, you can email us at cmdamatters at cmda.org. And if you like our podcast, especially if you listen regularly, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share us on your favorite social media platform. As we close this week, I want to share a few verses that I think show how work in advocacy aligns with the commands of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount, and they come from Matthew chapter 5. You, Jesus tells us, are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, it cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
we friends have a biblical calling to be the light of the world. And we're committed to letting our light shine before others through our work here at CMDA in advocacy. And we have the ability, we do have the ability to use our expertise in healthcare to make a difference on both the state and federal levels, just like Dr. Donaldson and Dr. Youth are doing in the state of Indiana. I hope that this week's episode encourages you that you would pray about how God wants you to use your gifts and your experience and your areas of practice and knowledge to bring his hope and his healing to the world through advocacy efforts. Well, that's what matters to CMDA friends. And CMDA matters. We'll see you next week, God willing. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.